if you focus on who are the people running this, who am I going to be reporting to? You know, of course, there's the, the money aspect and the title and all that stuff that you need for LinkedIn and, you know, all that stuff. But if I have six or seven people that I work with in Hollywood and everyone sort of looks down their nose, these are wonderful, good, honest people. And I've more often than not started to learn early on, boy, there's some just a negative vibe. They say no to everything. They have to be right all the time. They clearly will lose their temper if they don't get their way. I just walk away from that project. I know it's a little different if you're in a job and you're sort of, you have kids and all that. But if you're talking about changing jobs, go for the right people. Welcome back to Bucketless Careers. Guys, I'm Crystal Laurie. Thanks for joining me. Ed Cunningham is my guest today. He was a professional football player with the NFL, a sports broadcaster for different media outlets, most recently ESPN, an award-winning filmmaker and entrepreneur, and now he's found podcasting. We're both with the Believe Network, and Ed's new show is called Let's Huddle. He's loving this new role, he tells me, in an ever-growing landscape of sports podcasts. I think his multifaceted perspective is his differentiator. And Ed's wisdom is undeniably valuable. He likes to draw on sport meets life moments, as you would imagine. And in this episode, he shares with me some meaningful stories on the playing field and off on reinvention, finding more of yourself, who you truly are with each career pivot. All right, let's listen. Hope you enjoy. Ed, I'm so grateful for your time. I'm really glad we pulled this together to believe Podcast Network podcast hosts in one episode. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, well, it is a pandemic and we are on the internet. So lots. Yes, you make a good point, but I'm excited about this one. Your, your career evolution is one I've been wanting to explore since the producers at Believe told me about you. Well, thank you. The podcast space for me was back to my roots because my first broadcast job was radio. It's funny, I still have a Polaroid picture of a billboard that I was on for my radio show when I was playing for the Cardinals in no Arizona. <laughs> yeah, but I love the audio medium. It suits me well. I've, I've worked on conference calls my whole life, so I'm always in multiple conversations, creative conversations all day for work. <laughs> and so it's been nice to get back to my roots a bit with the audio space. It's kind of perfect for you because I do feel like you have a natural and relaxed way of imparting knowledge. It's like the opposite of a know-it-all, even if you do. <laughs> That's a gift. And long-earned because I've been a know-it-all before. <laughs> and that was, I think that was part of the goal for this show. When I was broadcasting at ESPN, I was the target of a lot of fan bases. And rightfully so a lot of times that I was nitpicky, I overanalyzed, I was negative. And I would say one of the things I've learned, and, and I think this goes to anybody running a business or whatever, you have to hear what people are saying about you and be able to filter out what's true and what needs to be heard. Hmm. Feel the emotion, feel heard and embarrassed or whatever. But what I would do, I would do a, a game. I would go on the fan boards and read what some of the people were saying about the game or me. And sometimes I'd catch factual errors that I made. Well, the next time I would do a game there, I would say on the air, hey, I called this guy Bill, but he goes by William and correct the error and move on. And I think that's a what was a good thing because I did come across as a know-it-all, I think, on the air with ESPN quite often sometimes, especially from the deep fans. So in this medium, that's really been a I wanted to grow. I wanted to become more of a 
active listener and, and participant. Well, that's that's excellent. And I, I think you're right. I think what we are doing here in this space and this platform as podcasters is a bit more unfiltered. And that kind of vulnerability too, like I can be wrong. It happens once in a while. That's appealing to your listeners. Yeah. So it, I mean, that's that's your now, right? But there's so much through your career journey that we want to unpack. And I want to, as I do with all my guests, dial it back to you know your earlier days. We want you to walk us through your pivots. Obviously, you've had a couple different transitions and transformations. And we want to dig into your mindset because that's what we can learn from. What was really driving you then? Who were you then compared to what you've discovered about yourself in the now? So let's go back to University of Washington. Playing football, you won a national championship there and then drafted by the Phoenix Cardinals. Yeah, it was a culture shock, Hmm. uh, a real big culture shock. For me, I had I left the University of Washington at a high. We'd won a national championship. I played for one of the best people I've ever known, but clearly the best coach and manager I probably ever worked with and for a guy named Don James. And everything was run so well and so professionally. And we were also pushed very hard and given great opportunity off the field. Part of his program was we would have meetings with business leaders in town because they all wanted to meet the football players. But for Coach James, it was an opportunity for us to get business cards Hmm. and to expand out. There was always one eye on the field, one eye off the field, which is rare, I think, in some top-level athletics, where we weren't just challenged to do well off the field. We were supported to do well off the field. Nice. And I immediately gravitated towards media and and public speaking. And I actually had a non-paying radio gig my senior season at the University of Washington. Yeah, you told me you always had a side hustle of storytelling. And that's, that's where it started, really, for me, was I wrote some short stories in high school and, and had a couple of teachers that were great in, in the English department in high school. But then when I got into college and big media was around, ESPN, all the local, and we were the, a big deal, and I was sort of became a spokesperson. And then I got this radio special show on an FM rock station in Seattle when I was a senior. Okay. And that's where it really took off for me. I just saw, well, this is what I want to do. Very quickly, when I got to the NFL, football became a way for me to do the other things I wanted to do, which was be an entrepreneur, be on air, become a filmmaker. And so what I did with those five years, very carefully, by the end, was I had been building and helping build businesses and started broadcasting, was already doing TV while I was still playing in the NFL. Mm. So that really came in. It came out of my family. My mom and dad, go play football all you want. And then you got to do your science. And, you know, we were very balanced in our pursuits growing up. Yeah. So, yeah, I always had that side hustle. But the culture shock when I got to the NFL, it was just total chaos. It was just cold, inhuman experience for me. Mm. But I really sought stuff off the field to feel engaged. And also, I got tired of just using my body for my job. <laughs> I wanted to use Fair enough. <laughs> other crafts. But I've always had, since 1991, I've always done stuff professionally off the field. And, and that started in college. You've told me that all your careers have overlapped. So was that by chance? And how do you think that served you in terms of your transitions and constantly evolving? When I first left the NFL for about four or five years after I got out, I would get a call once or twice a year from an old teammate of mine who just retired and was panicked out of their mind. What am I going to do now? 
And I was the call because I immediately left the NFL. The next fall, I was on CBS. I got my first network gig, but I'd been on TV. So I had a tape. I had a way to transition. I, I got a media agent instead of a football agent. I had the path set out. Yeah. And I, I think this is, should be part of all of our lives. And I, I've already started telling my young kids this. Always have a side hustle. Always have something else going on. Amen. There's no reason to fully dedicate all, even if it's just a hobby, even if it's just rebuilding classic cars that you could sell on weekend, you know, whatever it is, make that a passion. And then for me, it just very quickly became a career. I loved being on the radio. It was so much fun. And I said, how do I do this as a job? And it just came naturally. Do you think you love radio more than TV? Because you, so you were at ESPN for 15 years. Yeah, I did 20 years total network. I did CBS and then I was at ABC before it got taken over by ESPN. And then I was with ESPN and, and did games on ABC. That was an amazing run and journey to be able to go on and, and do all that. Anyway, those phone calls would come and every single one of them, I just talk them through. What do you like? What have you done? You're a good salesperson. Go get a sales job. Well, how do I do that? You know, it's sort of like, you don't know this stuff until you get into the mix. And I think if you're solely focused on, in my case, football, I think I, I was able to take advantage of all the opportunities and doors that opened very gracefully, I think. Well, how did you figure out for yourself, though, that you wanted to shake it up and go into documentary filmmaking? And was there a person of influence or was there a pivotal moment for you when you said, this isn't all of it for me? There's something else. Yeah. Well, you know, I know you've done on-air stuff. So I moved to Los Angeles in 1999. I had produced a video back right after college about our national championship season. So I produced something, but I hadn't, I didn't have the producer mindset. When I moved to Hollywood, it was to actually start doing hosting and acting because I had on-air and I had an agent and I knew some producers out here. And I fully invested. I, I studied two different acting methods. I was getting booked. I was working in small movies. I was headed up to act and host. I was up for some big gigs as a host on some reality shows. And that grind of that life yes. was just hard. It was just, I, I actually turned down. I got offered a commercial for a major fast food chain. Because I went in on the audition for a friend and they wanted to cast me. And I turned it down because I was on air at the time with ESPN. I ended up doing a bowl game that that commercial ran on, had its premiere. So I, um. so I, had, I had this moment where I would have been <laughs> in this commercial being a total sellout for this fast food <laughs> chain. And also an, an impartial arbiter of information about this game right, uh, right. that they're helping sponsor. And so... That was the big pivot. So in that moment, I met a guy named Greg Whiteley. If anybody wants to Google him, he, he directs and created Last Chance You on Netflix mm -hmm. and this series called Cheer, oh, I've heard which has season two coming up, which is you know going to be riveting and very emotional and, and deep. It's a very, <laughs> it's going to get a lot of depth. It's got a lot of eyes on it though, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but Greg Whiteley and I met. And he was working on uh, work for hire production for actually the Marines. And I did the voiceover because he said, hey, I need a voiceover for this. And I don't have any money to pay anybody. <laughs> Will you do it? Yeah. And during that voiceover session, another guy named Seth Gordon, who was helping Greg, the three of us ended up making a documentary together. Yep. And that was it. Once I dove into behind camera, I've never really craved going back and trying to act or host or do any of that stuff because it's just, I just find it so fulfilling. 
Totally. And I wonder if you agree with me in the sense that the in-depth aspect of telling stories in a documentary format is appealing to me. Someone coming out of news, always feeling that restriction of the, the amount of time we have to delve into a story. And in this case, you know, Undefeated is a powerful story about a real high school football team in Tennessee. And I think the depth that you achieved there is certainly beyond mm. what's possible in sportscasting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I just actually edited an interview yesterday with Sam Farmer of the LA Times and Jeff Chidea of the NFL Network. And they're both reporters and good friends. And, you know, we were talking about the speed of social media and how their job has changed. And say I'm not on the podcast, but he said to me before, he said, and I've heard other journalists say this, we can no longer do long-form reporting and long-form stories. It just takes too long. That has to be their side hustle. They have to really love it and then finish it because they have to be in the cycle. And I think one of the reasons documentaries and nonfiction in general is booming. Of course, COVID had a lot to do with that, but that broke the seal on and what the world audience, not just the American audience, but the world audience saw was there are incredibly talented, gifted filmmakers who, mm. you know, I've worked on projects that took eight years right. to finish. Right. It was a part of my life. It's still part of my life. You know, they, they sort of live with you as they move on, but you know, there's filmmakers risking their lives and betting with troops and police in Mexico and doing it in a way that when you watch it, it's riveting, it's cinematic, which is different. I think, I think the audiences in the world woke up in the pandemic and said, oh, these are as good or better than any scripted show I watch. So why wouldn't I watch this? And that's been for, I think the exact reason you're saying is you can't dive in. And with eight years of experience, that final four months is the final edit. How do you boil down those eight years? What's most important? That's the sort of shrinking of what you have to do in our space. But we had for that film, it's got an 88 minute runtime. And we usually try to keep our films as short as they can be. But that's a lot of time. You can go a lot of places in 88 minutes. Absolutely. You can even go a lot of yeah. places in a 20-minute podcast called Bucketless Careers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know broadcasting and filmmaking, they were natural extensions of your passion and you credit timing as well, working in a time of great media growth. Would you say in terms of biggest obstacles you've had to deal with, would you say that breaking into filmmaking was the biggest one? Was that the least natural transition for you? Because Hollywood is such an insular mm. community. So what was step one for you? What can we learn from that? And how did you navigate that? That was the most outsider, I don't belong, you know, what am I doing here mm -hmm. of the careers I've done on a lot of levels. You know, the big one being what you mentioned is Hollywood can be sort of an insider's club. And it was even more, more so then than now. Now it's just so big. It's, you know, it's a little less than it was when I first started in the film business. Right, right. I'm not a naturally gifted networker, Hollywood, still to this day. It's about meetings and lunches and coffees and drinks. And it's like you really have to network. And I had a couple of moments early in my filmmaking career where I had an opportunity to go into the studio system and start making movies for studios. And at the time, I turned down those opportunities. A lot of it was I was full time at ESPN and I probably had to have given that up. So that was part of it. But the other part was I was scared. Yeah. 
I was, I sort of liked being an independent filmmaker and we can do what we want and we're our own boss. There was some freedom there that I didn't have at ESPN necessarily, although I, did, I wasn't restricted except for good reasons, you know, journalistic integrity and, and all those things. Sure. So I think it was that fear of feeling like an outsider. And I think what pricked that, that balloon for me, I mentioned this guy earlier, Seth Gordon, who's gone on and uh, we made a film called The King of Kong which really blew up in like 2007. And it just was a great experience. And Seth was able to, and he was very savvy. He had already been filmed. He'd already been directing a lot of stuff. He was able to parlay this right into a terrific studio and TV-based career as a director and executive producer. And we were driving to a meeting and we still developed and worked together quite a bit. And we were going to this big story meeting where there would be two or three executives from the studio, two other producers that I didn't really know. And my partner, Seth and I, and we're driving over and Seth had already, he was already in the game. He was in these meetings. He was doing the lunches and I was still the broadcaster who helped him produce this film. Yeah, right. And he said, he goes, I'll tell you right now, you have as good or better story chops than anyone else that's going to be in that room. And I thought, oh, there it is. Yeah, well, it's going to say, I mean, you don't walk in there without gravitas, but it was somewhat holding you back mindset wise. Yeah. And I had, I had gotten there through, I didn't really study filmmaking. I didn't study broadcasting. I just learned it on the job. And so I sort of doubted myself on my, my credibility, I guess. And it was so nice of him and someone, you know, I like and respect him a lot because I think he sensed like, ah, it's a little nervous and it might be about this because it can be. And that's the thing. People want to know what gets made in Hollywood. If it's a great story and they trust the people making it that they can execute, it's going to get made. And, and that's one thing I've just through trial error in a lot of different ways, developed my own taste, developed my own take, and really grown in my confidence as a creator and a writer rather than just part of the finance package or part of the marketing plan or whatever. But that was the biggest hurdle for me. And he, he really helped in that moment. Well, I think that is a perfect transition actually to the takeaways portion of the podcast because, you know, we're trying to help people launch their dream job, right? Build mm -hmm. it. And one of the goals of my podcast as of late is for each episode to be able to deliver one or three or five, maybe that's too ambitious, things that my listener, things you know because you were here with us, because you listened to the Ed Cunningham episode all the way to the end. <laughs> what would you say would be something that is somewhat singular in terms of what you think your journey has taught you and what you can share with others in launching your dream gig? Hmm. Yeah, I know it's not an easy one. You know, well, but it's multi-layered. <laughs> I'll share with you that I'm discussing with someone taking a job at a major company. It's sort of a startup based, partnered with this major company. Okay. It would challenge, it would be a lot of stuff that I'm good at and know, and it would also open me up to some bigger, broader things around, especially marketing and brand building that I'd like to learn about. Okay. Just opening some doors. Yeah. And so, frankly, I'm about to step into a bit of a dream job that I've been working as a consultant on for seven months Okay. and just started talking with the guy who's running the company about joining and that discussion is is coming to a head pretty quickly because they're ready to launch. <laughs> I'm really curious now, Ed. Come on. You got to give me something. Well, you got to give me something. I can't. Yeah, no, we don't have, there's no, uh, there's no paperwork yet. Got it. That being said, I think it's a good time to sort of look at, for me, just to reflect on 
you know, why am I here and what got me here? Right. And th this one is the perfect example, I think, where I started with this person as a consultant because there was a couple of things that he needed help with and we got connected and I was able to help. And I'm in business with this person already. The whole time, I never once thought, oh, this is someone I can go work for. And why I say someone is here's the biggest thing I've learned. It's the people, not the project. It's the people, not the corporation. It's the people, not the school. It's if you focus on who are the people running this, who am I going to be reporting to? You know, of course, there's the, the money aspect and the title and all that stuff that you need for LinkedIn and, you know, all that stuff. But if I have six or seven people that I work with in Hollywood and everyone sort of looks down their nose, these are wonderful, good, honest people. And I've more often than not started to learn early on, boy, there's some just a negative vibe. They say no to everything. They have to be right all the time. They clearly will lose their temper if they don't get their way. I just walk away from that project. I know it's a little different if you're in a job and you're sort of, you have kids and all that. But if you're talking about changing jobs, go for the right people. Make sure it's a sound business plan. Make sure they can pay you for a long time and, and go for the right people. That, that would be the real singular thing for me. I love it. People over project. Yeah. There's so much value in that. I agree. Well, I want to make sure we mention everyone should check out Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham. I enjoyed the episodes I listened to. You can get that wherever you get your podcasts, including our network, Believe.com. And I really am looking forward to watching what's coming next. I can just tell that what you have to contribute and deliver is far from over. Oh, thank <laughs> so you. So thank you so much for your time, Ed. It was really great to have you on the show. Yeah, I love your show. Thanks for having me. Thanks, as always, for taking the time to listen. We'll have another great guest for you on Thursday. If you'd like to connect before then, you know I'm on social media at Bucket List Careers or shoot me an email, Krista at BucketListCareersPodcast.com. Be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironic media.com.